Hi, everybody. Thank you again for joining us today for another PR Masters podcast. I'm Mark Stevens, your host, and it's my pleasure to bring to you the legends and leaders in the public relations industry. Our PR Masters series have been surprisingly candid. And why? Because we've gotten the masters of the profession that we all love to share their viewpoints on how to succeed in public relations and rise to the top. And by God, I hope you've all learned something by now from all of these talented people who will help you in your own careers. I know I have. So it is with a great deal of pleasure that today I introduce somebody that I've known for many, many years who's achieved tremendous success, and he is truly in the category of a PR master. I'd like you to meet Jim Weiss, and let me tell you a little bit about Jim. Jim, as you probably know his name, is the chairman and founder of Real Chemistry, which is a global health innovation company that uses real-world data, proprietary technologies, and analytical insights to solve the healthcare industry's most significant challenges. He also serves as an executive advisor to New Mountain Capital, which is Real Chemistry's investment partner. And of course, the succeeding names of the firm that Jim has built and created over the years was originally Wisecom, W2O, and now, of course, Real Chemistry. We'll, we'll get into that in a few moments. But at any rate, Jim evolved Real Chemistry from a one-person consultancy to a team of 1,800 people who partner with clients at the highest levels of organizational decision-making. And a pioneer in the application of analytics, data, and precision targeting, Jim learned early on in his career to follow the data to get to the right outcome. And by the way, Jim is also passionate, and he's done so much about this, and he'll talk about this. He's also passionate about improving diversity, inclusion, and health equity to make the world a healthier place for all. Jim Weiss, I've known you for so many years. I've known you since the beginning of your career. Welcome to PR Masters. How are you today? Great, Art. Thanks for having me. And, yes, you really are the first, one of the first people I ever met in the business. Well, I hope, I hope that augurs well for what you've achieved over the years. <laughs> it does. I mean, you know, since we're trying to give out some tips, I think it's worth a quick story on how we met and what I learned from that. And, you know, I, at the fact also that we've stayed in touch all these years, it's another part of the lesson, but I, I came to you, I was a Syracuse University Newhouse junior, and they encouraged us to go out and get internships every summer, um, as they continue to do. And I'm now on the board of the Newhouse School and uh, the advisory board, and, and we recommend the same thing. It's one of the great, I call trade schools that you'll ever run across, so a little plug for them. But on top of that, um, my uncle knew your former partner, Amelia Loebsons. Uh They, oh, wow. you know, shared an opera box uh, at the Met. And, you know, he, you know, intervened and, and got me an internship with, you know, what I think at the time was, you know, Amelia's daughter, Kay. I reported directly to her. Um, I remember it well because I, I like to tell everyone I really, truly started at the bottom, and here's why. Uh, I worked on a barium enema product that was made by a company <laughs> called EZM, and I was that person that, you know, pitched trade media on, you know, the benefits of barium enemas 
uh, you know, they pretty much looked around the office and, and basically said, okay, tag, you're it. Mike B will try it. He'll do anything. So, you know, as I said, I, I went and pitched reporters somewhat unabashedly and unknowingly, uh, you know, dove in, and that was my start. And what it led to later on when I had this on my resume was to work on the Pepto-Bismol and Metamucil accounts because their view was I had experience in GI, uh, gastrointestinal business and disorders, and that is frankly what led me into healthcare PR. Wow. Wow. So It's absolutely all connected. And, you know, when you connect those dots, that's how it works. Well, I'm certainly glad to have played a role, you know, as uh, the president of Lopes and Stevens and Amelia's partner, over there, uh, and then you know, and we were. I, I always felt proud that we fostered a lot of great careers, and including your own. And obviously, your story is among the best and and uh, the most successful. So, congratulations on what you've achieved over the years. We're going to get into that, obviously, a little bit. And so, the first question I want to ask you is: Did you did you ever think, by the way, that you you would build one of the largest and leading edge firms in the world? Well, I, I think I was I knew art that I would do something extraordinary. I've always felt that. I, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. I, you know, was always, you know, thinking that, you know, even though I was, you know, uh I guess somewhat of a big fish in a small pond, I was always pretty involved. I always tell people I learned a lot in high school, you know, as student council president. I was, you know, obviously involved in a lot of the teams that I played on. I played, you know, football, basketball, and golf, and, you know, volleyball. So I was always playing team sports. I kind of always knew that I'd have to be around a lot of people. Uh, you know, I'm kind of an extrovert, extrovert. So I, I, ha I knew that I was not going to be, you know, in a small room alone, uh, you know, doing something by myself. So, as my kids like to say, you know, one of the reasons I started this business is so that I have people to hang out with. And, you know, I also talk about the fact that I'm not really, I'm a really good hard worker, great with client service, but I'm not great with bosses. You know, I like to, you know, drive my own bus. And uh, in order to do that, you have to start your own business. Well, I was going to ask you about that, you know, because you, you've had some great positions. So once you left Lopes and Stevens, if, if I recall, you went on, I know it's in your bio, but I didn't, you have an extensive bio, so forgive me for not reading all of it, but you did serve some time in major agencies and major corporations, and then you started your own business. What made you decide, uh, after obviously going through, call it further internship, but, you know, as, as a, in a career that was rising, I think it was Hill and Olton and so on, uh, what made you decide after that that you really wanted to do to go on your own? Well, you know, it's interesting because I didn't actually think I was going to do that. When I left my last job in corporate, which I do think makes me somewhat unique in our business, a lot of agencies and consultancies are started by, you know, people who've worked at those kind of firms. I was actually coming somewhat the opposite way. I had moved to California in 1992 after a period of time in the agency world following one of my former bosses from Hill and Knowlton to, you know, actually a couple of them uh, out to California to, to work at Genentech, which was at the time 2,000 people, which is about the size of my firm now. 
and that was a startup, um, which was incredible. And I had a great opportunity. I don't think I fully knew what I was getting into, but I was, you know, surrounded by Nobel laureates and a lot of incredible scientists who changed the face of how we treat cancer and heart disease and a number of other uh, diseases that, you know, I was lucky enough. And I really haven't lost touch and never lost touch with any of them. Then I spent some time. I followed another former colleague that's probably been on this show, Bob Pearson, over to Paris. Uh, I was his Paris operative at Rome Polanc were, which became Sanofi. And I worked on gene therapy and, you know, a lot of, you know, groundbreaking drugs that we know today, launching them globally out of a Paris headquarters. And then returned to work at a medical device company that gave me a whole other set of experiences and contacts. Once that finished, you know, because that was bought by Johnson and Johnson, they kind of left me there to turn the lights off. At that point, I thought I would go consulting back into, you know, another corporate job. But what happened was I had a lot of people that had moved on from these three other places I mentioned. They called me up to do some work. I realized, oh, I can work for all these folks at the same time. Uh, that's a lot of opportunity. And I'm so curious, and some might say I have ADD, but, you know, it definitely, you know, kind of made me question am I corporate or agency. And a lot of times you've got to ask yourself that. And I realized I liked the variety and the speed and intensity of that agency style, and that's sort of where it led you know, around, I'd say 2001, I decided to put, you know, the shingle out and, and really go for it. Uh, and then it evolved from there. So why is it that, you know, you, you, you kind of rose from, uh, you know, the, the ranks of, uh, you know, of a uh, burgeoning PR firm to uh, obviously a, a great one uh, in terms of size, people and what have you. Did you have a game plan as to what you wanted to do on the agency side now that you've now that you had the experience of being on both? I, I think, you know, the game plan has always been the same game plan. I wanted to work with great people. I wanted to work on really interesting, groundbreaking projects because again, I had worked at Genentech, Hartport, you know, Rome Polanc, Roar. I mean, I had launched the first, you know, drug for cystic fibrosis in 30 years. I launched antibodies, you know, I had launched, you know, products that were changing the face of cancer. So I had become addicted to working on the breakthroughs and the exciting things. And that was what, and in doing them in exciting ways. So I did find that the firm, uh, as long as I could work on creative, exciting things with the people that I had gotten to know. Um, and then, of course, it just kept building. You know, uh, we got more business. I, I was able to attract some of my old friends into the business, um, some of whom are still clients. So it was really a, 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 a true example of maximizing one's network to, you know, I think at the end of the day, just do the things we all loved and to make impact. And that was how it started. And what I have learned for sure is anything I've ever done purposely for the money has normally failed or not turned out well. And when we're doing it for, and when I've done it for, you know, the excitement, the impact and the, you know, the good of patients and, you know, caregivers out there that usually 
has worked out really well. And that formula kept going. Now I did dabble in, you know, non-healthcare, uh, you know, products over the time, especially when we were getting into data and analytics. Now that was because healthcare hadn't quite yet embraced digital data and analytics in the same way. I had been privileged to start gene.com back in the day um, with my colleague, Jeff Teeter and Laura Lieber and Greg Baird, who I worked with at Genentech. So I had a lot of experience early on with websites in the nineties and, you know, how one markets a company and products online. That was some of the new information. And then Art Levinson, who led our R&D and eventually became uh, the CEO of Genentech, used to talk about, along with many others in the company, that we should always follow the data to get to the right outcome. And that is probably what lit the spark for me to eventually invest so much early and often in data and analytics. So, um, you know, I would say it was organic. And it was not overly planned out. Uh, at a certain point, yes, I had to really decide, okay, what does the next three years look like? What does the next three years look like? And I do have a sense of what's coming around the corner. And I was able to get ahead of that and ride a wave of digital data and analytics into healthcare uh, that is now considered, you know, rote. Well, Jim, I would have to say, obviously, uh, you know, as uh, uh, somebody who has um, monitored and followed the uh, PR profession and industry for so many years, that I have seen your uh, your business go from being a PR agency to really, as as you now put it, a healthcare consultancy. Did you ever consider uh, that segue? I guess when you like really started a PR agency. You were able to see things, you know, I guess through your networking or what have you, of, of uh, things to come. You know, the world of digital and interactive and analytics are, are all part of the services that Real Chemistry provides. But you were among the leaders. You know, you got into that faster than anybody, which I have to assume enabled you to generate a lot of business from uh, various companies in the, in the healthcare industry. Um, what what prompted you, you know, to uh, make that change from PR agency to healthcare consultant? Well, I think all along I was consulting, right? So when I was in-house, I was the, you know, communications consultant internally to, you know, in, in all my jobs, you know, to marketers, regulatory people, you know. And remember, I, I have this thought that, I didn't make up, you know, I learned it from, you know, my bosses at Hill and Knowlton and, you know, looking at what Richard Edelman was doing at Edelman and looking at what Gianfranco and Bob did at Inventive, which became Cineos. Um, you know, it's not like this wasn't happening around me and I was, you know, borrowing and learning from the best already. You know, they were beginning to invest in these areas. They were talking about it, but probably at the fundamental core was that, you know, I believe communications is leadership and leadership is communications. And now during the pandemic, we understand that importance of clear communications to healthcare outcomes. I mean, it's just become more valuable, important. I always felt that was true from a, being a young person all the way. I mean, I used to get, you know, pound the table often, I found that me and the teams at the firms and companies I worked at helped companies make better decisions through the lens of 
communications, you've heard of the the statement, the, t- the tail that wags the dog. And, you know, that is absolutely our role in many cases. We act as perhaps a company or a brand's conscience, uh, help them think about all the, you know, constituents 360 around the table that they have to be thinking about that they're not thinking about you know and I early on learned about you know pricing and healthcare reform uh, you know when Hillary Clinton was taking it on in the early 90s that happened to be a big issue when I was at Genentech and I was fortunate to work with one of the leading thought leaders in this space David Beyer who I'm still close with uh, who was an advisor to this company over the years and has been a client multiple times, but he spent a lot of times uh, in D.C., you know, helping with pricing and access reform. So I learned, again, early and often about all these things from some of the greatest people. And you and I talk about this a lot, Art, you know, really what's the secret to success? It's, it's mainly, you know, surrounding yourself with smarter people than yourself, and taking their advice when you ask for it, that gets you where you get. And make it happen is my mantra base, you know, hashtag value. And as my mom used to say, it's really about doing what you say you're going to do and following through on that. So I think listening to these others, looking and, and incorporating and then putting my own spin on it, ultimately having stayed in touch with Bob Pearson, who was my boss at Rome Palank Roar. He ended up at Dell, working for Michael Dell, working on their social strategy. And I called Bob, you know, midway through this process at about year 10 and said, hey, you around, can you work with me uh, and develop this concept around data and analytics? This was around the time of the 2008 economic meltdown. And, uh, you know, he jumped on board and had a lot to do with where we went starting our Austin office and helping me, you know, enter this world of data analytics and digital along with another guy who I think you probably talked to Paul Dyer, who's now running Lippy Taylor. Um, You know, the three of us teamed up and dreamed up quite a bit. And Aaron Stroud, who's on my phone right now came from one of those places and had a lot to do with how we got into this. So it's, you know, what a success has many masters. Um, and I really believe that. And I always, you know, felt privileged that these smart people uh, came in and worked with me and helped me get this going. But Jim, you didn't, you didn't, your firm didn't just grow. I mean, I've seen other <clears throat> very successful firms grow, you know, from say 10 million to 20 to 40 to 60. <clears throat> your firm now does, as I understand it, you know, reading some of the trades, your firm now does like, 430 million thereabouts, 440 million, uh, up about 100 million from last year. I know a lot of those. Uh, well, that was last year. Some of that now growth. we're working on. That was last year. Now we're working on 22, which is to exceed, you know, 550 million. Oh my God! Oh my God! I mean, that is, that is. I mean, that's ex- extraordinary. I mean, I don't think anybody's ever heard of that kind of growth in, in the public relations industry, agency industry, or marketing communications industry but uh i know you've made acquisitions well, I think, yeah well richard did it i mean richard did it after you know he took over from his dad i mean you know i think that was probably the first time people really got a clue as to how communications could be more central to the marketing mix and it was because of the work i really do believe it's because of that 
foundational work that was done in the industry. You know, he was out there pounding the table about that, that I think it helped all of us. And, uh, you know, that made a real difference to how marketers viewed PR and how important it was to the mix. I think before that, it was like a necessary, in some cases, they felt a necessary evil or only you got called when there was a crisis or you brought, I mean, we're still brought in too late. Uh, but I think it's way better than it used to be. The colleges and universities have figured out that these majors in PR are absolutely the hottest, most critical, biggest, you know, profitable areas of their schools. Um, because these are, in some ways, jacks of all trades and can be deployed in many ways. And now I'm seeing some of my colleagues becoming CEOs of biotech companies and other things. I think I've been inspirational to some people around what I've done, right? Because I, look, one of the reasons you asked me, why'd you get things going here? I knew I wasn't going to be CEO of Genentech or Hartford or RPR as a communications functionary. I mean, Ken Frazier, who ran Merck most recently, you know, came out of the legal department, but had communications background. You rarely see that at any of the big companies that we serve that they're coming out of communications on occasion marketing. So that was another impetus to go out. I, I knew I wouldn't be a CEO of anything unless I went and did this. So that had a lot to do with it. But I think at the end of the day, you know, communications now has such, it, it's so much broader than just PR, right? It has much higher value than you know, sure. it, it used to have in the market. And so I think, you know, that also enabled lift. I think it's just, are you ready to ride the wave and, and go with that? Right. And I think, you know, I also did a couple of things that I think were really critical for growth. Um, you know, I took my name off the door. It was called Weisscom. I wasn't that creative in the original naming of the company. Uh, I took that off the door. We called it WCG. Then it became W2O and now Real Chemistry. Um, you know, I moved to a chairman role when I thought that would further create more entrepreneurial running room and growth for more people. You got to know when to move so you can create that, you know, room for scaling and growth. So what was the process you went through in, in, in renaming the company and, and why did you decide to from from W2O, which I guess you had for a reasonable amount of time. Um, what made you go through that process and that, you know, that thinking? And also, why, uh, how did you come up with that name? Uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of names were under consideration. I don't know if you want to go into any, any other possible names that you perhaps thought might work also, but uh, why did you decide to change it again? And, uh, and, and how did you go through the process, and how did you come up with Real, real Chemistry? Well, I mean, we had spent a lot of time on the W2O brand, but I mean, again, I think when a company goes from four or 500 people to over a thousand and growing, and then you're doing many different things. Of course, as you know, I sold the private equity in 2016 and then again into 2019, I'm partnered with New Mountain now. Uh, we kept adding new things and it was a very simple formula. I know you've asked this question of me before, you know, I just added what clients were asking us for. To me, it's been a very simple growth path because if they asked me, can you do this? I went and found a way to get it done. That's the make it happen piece of this. And, you know, I found experts and people who could fulfill that. So we've, you know, we've just done these 
what I call adjacent add-ons, nothing too far afield from what our customers want. We listen to what they want and we go get it. And ultimately, it's very important that we select the right clients, we put the right teams together, and this was all about creating this alchemy of talent and capability and relationships and connections. And so, you know, the leap from alchemy to real chemistry wasn't too far. Uh, You know, we want to create real results. We want to create real impact. You know, so that name wasn't really the toughest one to come up with. We wanted it to feel more like a healthcare company. W2O could have been anything, even though it still exists, by the way, as a brand um, within our system. But that was really about fluidity, being a water sign, going with the flow of the changes, the fast-paced changes in healthcare and technology, and that was a lot of what the W2O connoted, but now I think we needed to go a next step, because I think the goal now is very much to grow from 2,000 to 4,000 and beyond uh, to really impact healthcare outcomes, uh, increase, uh, you know, and and help uh, the commercialization and clinical trial execution of of our customers. So, I think what that entails is hiring the right people and picking the right clients and working with the right experts, again, creating an alchemy that is true, real chemistry. And that's how we got there. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Uh, Jim, I want to ask you a couple of questions on the, call call it the general uh, profession of public relations, agencies, corporate, you know, where where it's been, where it's going. Obviously, it's changed a great deal since you and I first worked together 170 years ago. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, here we are today. We live in a totally different world. Um, and, and obviously, uh, your firm, your organization has contributed you know, to that growth and um, the use of disciplines that weren't even heard of you know, 20 years ago. Where do you think the industry is going, Jim, from your perspective? Um, where is it going, and uh, uh, what does it need to do to get to where it's going? Well, I think a lot of where it's going is where it's been. You know, I, I've said, you know, it has to remain the conscience of governments, companies, et cetera. So we can't do this through AI and data and digital alone. Humans have to play a role, and they will. So I think that is critical. I think when we went through all the different movements that, of evolution that we've been going through from Me Too to, you know, Black Lives Matter to Asian hate to the rise in anti-Semitism and all the other things that we've been observing, and now, you know, the crisis with Russia, possibly China. I mean, we've, we as a country haven't really seen these factors and elements, you know, let's not even mention, you know, the environment and what's going on there. So there's just so much need to be thoughtful, yet urgent and clear in communications. We know the rise on the internet of misinformation and, you know, fake news and all these other, you know, things we never thought we'd see again in the world, but, you know, they've all come true. I think, you know, our industry sits at the vanguard of 
you know, protecting the future of the things that we believe in around freedom and democracy and all that. And I know I sound so boxy here, but I also feel like that's fundamental to healthcare. And it's going to take healthy people, healthy minded people. We just went through a pandemic that took its toll on all of us um, physically, mentally, more than we might know. Um, yeah, I, I would say communications and what we do plays an absolutely critical central role to making the world a healthier place. So I, I'd say it's never been more important as an industry. So, Jim, you're a leader in the world of uh, public relations, obviously. Uh, you've uh, earned that role by what you've achieved. Uh, what advice uh, can you give to other agency heads to grow their businesses? Well, I'm sure I can, you know, learn more from them than they can from me in a lot of cases. And I do do that. I talk to a lot of them and I think we exchange ideas quite a bit. Um, I, I think the best way to grow your business is to, you know, make sure you're not thinking about yourself. It, it can't be about you. It has to be about your clients, you know, the constituencies you're serving and trying to impact. And it's got to be about your people. And as long as that's what you put first, I think you can grow. If you listen to them, I mean, all the best things I've implemented, all the changes, all the directions we've gone have come from the people who work with and for me. And I will say this, you know, one of the reasons I went into private equity was I needed to create more room for ownership of the people who were developing this with me. And when I look around, the best companies are, often those that are publicly traded where people have skin in the game and they have room to gain upside from their hard work beyond their salary and bonus. And now it's got to have purpose, right? You got to have a purpose. And that's the other big thing that I think leads to greater growth and evolution. So I think offering entrepreneurial running room, you know, working with a purpose, listening to your people, those are the things that I think, mark growth companies um, versus others. Do you plan to play any continuing role with real chemistry, uh, or is your, is your focus now you know, on the, uh, uh, the, pri the private equity sector? So I'm really glad you asked that. Um, yes, I mean, I am here uh, very active, I believe, more than perhaps in some ways better than ever. I, I'm wondering why I didn't do this sooner in some cases. Uh, people were asking me, you know, what does this mean? What are you doing? You know, what we decided, and you asked me also, you know, if this was something that was planned. Yes, succession planning has to be part of growth. So as part of the answer from before, you know, you can't stay in the same place. But what I will tell you is, you know, my talents and my um, enthusiasm is around mentoring, counseling clients, uh, doing the same for our people, you know, creating impact, you know, I, I felt like if I was too deep in the operation and, you know, checking spreadsheets and only worried about, you know, finances and operations that I wouldn't be as creative and, and, you know, growth oriented for our clients. And I will tell you that's come true. So where I spend my time here now is, you know, in a lot of, counsel with the clients and a lot of counsel and mentoring and coaching of our people. And I can tell that's already having 
positive impact and will continue to do so. And I think that's the role I need to play. Uh, I think I'm having, again, more fun than I've had in quite a long time. And uh, I hope this, uh, I hope it continues and that, you know, everyone here feels that I, I'm making a valuable contribution. And in the meantime, I think the work I do in private equity can also help. So I think I've got a couple ways to help real chemistry grow. And I have a lot of ways to help the industry grow. Jim, a question about um, uh, those changes in our business that have a bearing on attracting talent. I mean, you've been, uh, I know, an advocate for diversity, equal pay for women, uh, and uh, uh, obviously bringing uh, people of all uh, backgrounds into, call it the uh, marketing communications, public relations, consultancy world. Um, what, what's your view about where where that is, all is headed, you know, given where we are today? Well, it's interesting because obviously there's recent news, you know, on this, I think, relative to some of the big tech companies. You know, I think, you know, when we started, it wasn't exactly hard to have quite a bit of women in this business because that was this was the industry my mom was in PR you know it seemed to be an industry most of the mentors and leaders I've worked with have been women Beverly Simons from Helen Knowlton Laura Lieber and so many others that I was lucky enough to work with and who took a chance on me uh, Lynn Birch I can go on and on um, Alyssa Levins from GTFH uh, Lynn Voss who eventually ran Gray Healthcare I mean these have all been mentors role models models colleagues um, you know Wendy Lund who now is our client at, at an all women's company we do a lot of partnering uh, with with that client Organon on women's leadership and I've had you know women on my advisory board and on my board, like Charlene Prunas, who also came out of the, the gray healthcare family. And so I guess I always had those role models that were, you know, indicating to me. And then I ended up working with the Healthcare Women's Business Association. So it's never been hard. My mom was a CEO. My mom really taught me all this, that, you know, women. And then there's a Grateful Dead song with lyrics around women being smarter. So I, I was always, I have a twin sister. You know, I've been surrounded by these influences that have shown me, you know, that, yeah, women can basically do what men can do or more in this industry. So I, it's never even been a question to me. And we have, you know, I think six, over 60% of our workforce is women. You know, a large majority of those are in management positions. And, you know, we work, you know, I think, again, listening to my people, you know, this is what they've told me. I don't think this is a hard thing to do, and it actually pays off. And now when we talk about equity and inclusion, you know, I often tell leaders, look, you're leaving money on the table if you don't incorporate this into your business plan. You know, it's silly, and it doesn't make a lot of sense if we don't, you know, just go this direction. It just makes good business sense to do it. Jim, uh I want to ask a couple of uh, final questions uh, to you, and, 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 and thank you very much for your time today. Uh, much appreciated. Um, here, here's an interesting question that uh, I thought I wanted to ask you. What was the toughest day, the toughest day in your career as the leader of real chemistry, and also the best day in your career as the leader of real chemistry? 
Well, there's been a few. I saw that question and I thought about it. Um, you know, I think probably the toughest, you know, was a call I got one morning from my close colleague and good friend, Jen Gottlieb, who I want to mention has, you know, been so instrumental and crucial in the growth and development of this company. Also, Diane Weiser from back in the day, who's also a client now as well, and Hala Mirza, who was a client. But I, I do want to mention Jen in particular. She's played a tremendous role uh, in this company. And one day she called me and said, hey, Jim, you know, we had a client resign today. Um, you know, uh, it was something like, I don't know, at the time, given our size, we were much smaller. It was a, probably the largest client, somewhere between four and six million in revenue. And, you know, I really was concerned we'd have to, you know, lay people off or, you know, change direction. And what happened is we really just rose to the occasion, you know, and, and hustled and filled the book up and were able ultimately to have a better year that year than any other year. And sometimes adversity gets everyone to team up and rise and, you know, come together. So while that was a very tough day, I think the resolve and the lesson that, you know, bad things can happen, but you can overcome them. Um, in the business, and you just don't let that get you down. Now, I, there's plenty of other examples over the years that are close to that or similar to that, but that's the one that stands out because I just saw my team rise to the occasion, and we ended up, I think, you know, creating a much bigger, better firm as a result. Um, so that, that, that was the day that uh, I think showed our mettle and, and our, our ability to really take this to the next level. And the best day? Um, I, you know, I think I'm sure you, day, you've had many best I think, days. I know that. No, there are many best days. I think the best day um, being involved in, you know, the movement toward, you know, I don't know, maybe in some ways opening up, reopening up the world, you know, and launching, you know, the COVID vaccine working on, you know, the Black Coalition for COVID and, you know, improving vaccine confidence, you know, or at least playing some role to change the way people view that. I think those were some of the, I don't know, best days. It wasn't maybe one day, but it was a period of days where we got to be involved in such a world-changing event. Jim, what are you most proud of in your entire career? Um, I, the thing I'm probably most proud of in this in my career is what I've helped create. You know, I really think that I'm proud of creating and sticking to something and being, you know, an example to people that if you, you know, are focused and persistent and have a purpose that you can achieve it and that nothing can get you down. I mean, I've always felt like something of an outsider. I've always felt like I've had something to prove. I've always felt like, you know, and I still do, I still have a chip on my shoulder. I still think, you know, we're working with one client and three people and, you know, I got two nickels to rub together. I really haven't lost that, you know, excitement edge and, and goal to succeed. So I think, you know, what I'm really proud of is that I learned a lot of lessons and I applied them to create a terrific company that employs a lot of amazing people, but works on, you know, some of the most critical 
business uh, that can happen that has a real impact on people's lives. That's for sure. That's for sure. A few final quick questions, uh, Jim. Who are your heroes? Well, I'd say my heroes, you know, my I think my mom was a big hero to me. Uh, my grandfather, her, her dad, um, you know, was a big hero for me. I always thought Winston Churchill, you know, I, I always watched that movie with Gary Oldman over and over and over. I felt like he is one of my biggest heroes ever. Um, you know, I'd say those are really when I, off the top of my head, think about, you know, who I admire and who overcomes and has overcome adversity or misconception. You know, I'd say those are the, the primary heroes in my life that I point to often. And what are your hobbies? What do you do when you're not working? Um, when I'm not working, uh, you know, I'm fly fishing with my son because I need him to tie the flies. I'm not that good at that. Uh, you know, I, I'm hiking with my wife. I'm uh, golfing with some friends and family. Uh, I'm spending time, you know, with uh, my son and daughter and, you know, family members. Uh, you know, I, I, like, I do like to ski, although haven't really gotten out much. We don't have that much snow here in California this year. And, uh, you know, those are the things I like to do. I'm really involved in a lot of, you know, I'd say community activities from my temple to, you know, Jewish Youth Federation to, you know, Anti-Defamation League. And I'm on the board of the Cancer Research Institute. I'm highly, you know, engaged and involved there, you know, due to my own experience with colon cancer and my sister's experience with breast cancer. So, you know, that's a big zone. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that's really a hobby as much as a, you know, a mission. And, uh, you know, I, I like to be involved, engaged, and with people all the time. Jim, how do you want to be remembered? I think I just want to be remembered as somebody who, you know, listened and learned and helped and, you know, made a positive impact on on the things that I got involved in. Um, but I'm not too concerned about being remembered. In fact, you know, I think it's really hard to be remembered now. Um, and that's not, for me, what it's about. I, I, I saw that question and realized, oh, I don't really, I'm not too worried about how I'm remembered. Um, other than if I've instilled in some people some of the things that others have instilled in me. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about mentors and heroes and people I've tried to emulate, you know, that's a similar impact I'd like to have. And one final question, uh, Jim, where do you see Jim Weiss in the years ahead? You're a relatively young guy. You've got lots of time ahead of you to do all kinds of things. So where do you see yourself? Well, I don't think real chemistry is the biggest thing I'll do. Um, I really do feel like there's more to go out and do. Uh, and create. I'm very excited and curious, and I see lots of opportunity um, in so many areas. So I really see myself being, again, uh, you know, a business and, um, I guess, cultural societal influence, you know, for health citizenship. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately the positive impact business can make on society. Well, I'll drink to that, Jim. I'll definitely drink to that.
All right. Jim well, Weiss. Drink. I like to do that, too, especially Thank wine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like red wine. How about you? No, I, red or white, pink, uh, bubbles. <laughs> well, yeah, you name it. If it's good, I'd Well, I'm you're in California. You, they generally yeah, like uh, white that's wine. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No that doubt. True, yeah. Hey, Jim, thanks so much. Thanks so much on behalf of our PR Masters uh, podcast listeners today for sharing your background, your history, your observations, your viewpoints, and your leadership you know, with all of us. Uh, and thank you for your friendship for all these years. Uh, you and I do go way back. And, yeah, uh, same back. Uh, uh, yeah. And as, as an aside, let me just tell you how very, very, very proud of you I am, you know, uh, Obviously, I feel I've been a part of your life and had some very early influence, if not me directly, certainly the people in my previous firm uh, got you got you going, and here you are today. I'm very, very proud of you, Jim. Yeah, you have, and that's what it's all about. And even if you've had breakdowns with you know one another, it's also important to know those lead to breakthroughs, and there's always a win-win to be created uh, no matter what happens. So, you know, I really feel like at this point, um, you know, a good lesson for your listeners is, you know, this is a good example of how your network and your relationships are really what it's all about in our business. No matter how much tech and data and analytics come into play, it ultimately comes down to people and relationships that make things happen. That's a great way to close, Jim. Thank you. And all right. You are so right on. So thank you, Jim. And I'd like to all thank right, all of you today. For joining us, my name is Art Stevens. I'm your host and our managing partner of the Stevens Group. I'm signing off now and see you all again next time with the next PR Masters podcast. Take care, everybody, and continue to flourish.